following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. You can turn your Bibles to Romans 8. And uh, our text for today is uh, one of, uh, is a favorite. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Romans chapter 8. But uh, before we read the passage, I've, I've shared some of this before. As those of you who know me well, have listened to me a while, you've, you've maybe heard this. But I, I, I'm a boring person. I'm a very boring person. And I like routine. I, I love routine. And so, now, the baby makes exceptions to this. But outside of having small children, you could about set your watch by when I wake up in the morning, when I work out, when I read my Bible, when I make coffee. And I have very detailed routines even down to you know, the order in which I shave, put in my contacts, brush my teeth, all those things. I like things to be systematic and routine-oriented. And, and I'm even very routine-oriented in, in how I dress. So when I wear something, assuming it doesn't need to be washed, I always hang it up on the left end of my closet. And the next day, if I want to figure out what I'm going to wear, whatever's on the right end is what I put on. Now, you might think that's really weird, and it is kind of weird, but some of you stress out every day about what you're going to put on, and I don't have to do that. Whatever I see there is what's going on, and it works. Now, 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 now I recognize, now, now you might hear all that and think, man, that's boring, I don't want any of that. I, I, like, I like adventure. I, I like to just kind of see how life is going to come and you know, maybe you're the type of person, you, you love a vacation with no plans, no expectations. You're just going to wake up in the morning, see how you feel, do whatever you feel like that day. And of course, an adventure, an occasional adventure can be a lot of fun. But no one wants an adventure in certain parts of life. You want to know how you're going to pay the bills. You want to know where you're going to live. Uh, you want to have a plan for raising your kids. You want to have a plan for staying healthy. You, you want to have a plan by which you know that you will have a secure and relaxing retirement. And yet, no matter how well we might make those plans, life oftentimes takes surprising twists and turns. Now, some surprises are great, but many of them are not. Some of those surprises are devastating. And so, it can be very unsettling to wonder what surprise is ahead of me still. And when one of those devastating surprises comes, you wonder, how am I ever going to make it through this? And how can this possibly turn out for anything that is good? Well, God understands those fears, those worries. And he offers a wonderful, comforting answer in this very familiar passage. Romans 8, verse 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. 
Now, this is another famous and, and very loved passage in the book of Romans. And it's famous because it is full of comfort and hope. And the hope of this passage is not just merely wishful thinking. It's not a prayer and a dream. No, it is anchored in a sovereign and wise God who is near to every challenge of our lives. And God offers us hope first by making an incredible promise in verse 28. And notice that Paul states that this this promise in the most certain terms, he says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. So, so this is common knowledge among Christians. And even today, we, we quote Romans 8.28 probably about as much as any other verse in the Bible. But while this is a very well-known verse, it is one of the most misunderstood verses probably as well in the whole Bible. So, so I want to begin today with three clarifications. All right, And the first clarification is that Paul's concern is with suffering and glory. Now, now notice, as always, uh, we must understand Scripture in context. So, so just a little review here. Remember that, that Romans 8 is all about assurance of our salvation. This chapter is here to make us know that, that we will be with God. And so it begins by saying, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as well, Notice the assurance he gives in verses 16 and 17. He says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. So God tells us that we have a great inheritance awaiting us in glory. That's great. But verse 17 also throws in this little, you know, this little hitch and it tells us that on our way to glory, we must first suffer with Christ. And that doesn't seem right. Suffering and glory, those don't fit together. How, how in the world can present suffering lead to future glory? And Paul answers, first in verses 18 through 25, by saying that all of our suffering will be worth it. Because future glory is worth any sorrow that we might face here. But you might think, well, that's great. Glory's worth it all. But how do I know I'm going to make it through that suffering? How do I know that I will endure? Well, Paul answers in verses 26 and 27 by saying that the Holy Spirit is with you. He is near to God's people, and the Spirit helps us with our weakness, is what verse 26 says. And now, verses 28 through 30 add the ultimate confidence boost that the sovereign will of Almighty God guarantees our perseverance through suffering and our future glory with God someday. So so this passage is all about the role of suffering and how suffering fits, as verse 17 says, on our way to future glory. Second clarification I want to make is that this promise is for Christians. Now, if you happen to find Romans 8.28 on a Hallmark card, which it's in quite a few of them, I can about guarantee that that quotation of this verse will end with the word good. All things work together for good. And and so many people assume that this verse promises some kind of happy, good, go-lucky purpose 
for all people in any sort of difficulty. So someone's you know, going through some hard time, you buy them a Hallmark card, hey, all things work together for good. It's all going to work out in the end. And that's how people understand it. But that's not what God says. No, God says that all things work together for good. For whom? For those who love God and for those who are called according to His purpose. That's a really fascinating qualifier. From both a human side and a divine side. So, so first, on the human side, Paul describes Christians as those who love God. That's great. Yet if you are Christian, God is not merely a means to a happier, more fulfilled life. And He's also not just your judge that you hope doesn't fry you in the end. No, for a true Christian, we love our God. Because He is our Father. And then, uh, and so that's wonderful. But, but what if my love for God was the only factor here? Well, we might be in trouble. We, and we have to remember that we only love God because He first loved us. And so Paul adds as well that we are the called according to His purpose. Now, the Bible occasionally speaks of God's general call, His general invitation for all people to be saved. God calls all people to to receive Christ as Savior. But here, he is talking specifically about God's sovereign call and effective call for those who are the elect. And we know that because verse 30 will say that the only people who receive this call are people who will be glorified someday with God. So, So not everyone receives this call. And so the point is, is that God in His sovereign purpose has called us to Himself. And His call is effective. So I'm not fundamentally a Christian because I made a great choice. I'm a Christian because God drew me to Himself. And that's huge. Because what if the promise of verse 28 depended on my ability to love God? Or what if it went away on days that I wasn't loving God so much? Well, I'd be in a lot of trouble. But this promise that all things work together for good is secure because it is not fundamentally rooted in anything in me. It is rooted in the purpose of God. And so this promise belongs to all Christians. And God is saying that all things work together for good always for everyone who is in Christ. So Christian, this promise is true for you at all times and in every situation. And then the third clarification we need to make is that the good in this passage is sanctification. Now, now this is the most important clarification because this is where a lot of even really godly Christians miss the boat. And so specifically, they understand good to be whatever I think is good. Right? That, that I am the determiner of good. And so, good is what makes me comfortable. Good is what makes me happy. But that's not actually what the good is. So, well, well for example, so, so let me be- expand on that for a minute. So, so, you flunk out of college. You're like, well, all things work together for good. So, God must have something better for me. I, I flunked out of college, and God's going to provide me with a better career path, better job. You know, or... You know, you're, you're struggling at work and you're behind on some big project and so you say, well, hey, all things work together for good. So it's all going to get done. It's all going to work out in the end. 
And that's oftentimes how we understand this passage. And, and certainly, God cares about every detail of our lives. And God is gracious and generous with all of them. But we, if we're going to understand this passage and appreciate it, we have to recognize that he is thinking here of a very specific good. And verse 29 tells us what that good is. That we would be conformed to the image of His Son. So that is the good. So, so, so the good is not just anything. It is spiritual growth. It is Christ-likeness. And, and ultimately, it is my full glorification with God in heaven someday. So, I hate to break it to you. If you love the, the hallmark version of this verse. But God is not saying in this verse... That, that all your circumstances are ultimately going to work out for your comfort and your happiness, at least in this world. God is not promising to fix all your problems or to heal all your diseases. No, He is saying that, that He has a much higher good and a good of eternal significance. He is forming Christ in you. And folks, that is the greatest good that you could possibly enjoy. You know, and and, and I, I've used this illustration as well before, but, but the Lord really drove this home to me uh, back, um, I think it was 2007, when we were buying our first house uh, in Michigan. And so uh, we, were, we were buying a foreclosed home, and, and if you've ever bought a foreclosed home, you know that it can be tricky, and escrows are always miserable. And um, sorry if you've never bought a house before. Um, but, but, but this escrow just was a mess, and so we were dealing with challenge after challenge, and I remember calling the gas company like 10 times trying to get this taken care of. And there were just so many issues. And, and so the escrow kept dragging on. And because of that, our lease ended on our apartment. So we had to move in with one set of friends and then another set of friends. And, and it was just frustrating. And then uh, we were at family camp with our church. And my wife ran a, a go-kart into a, a wall and... Uh, and got pretty beat up, and so she could hardly do anything for several days. And finally, finally, the escrow finished, and uh, we were finally able to, to move into our house. And I woke up the day we were going to move, and I was really frustrated because now I couldn't find a moving truck, and I couldn't find people to help me move. And, I, and, and you know, looking back, none of those things were that big of a deal. But you, we've all had days like that, right? Where you just wish something would be easy. Like, can't God, like, can't you make just one thing work well and make my life easy and comfortable? Well, in the providence of God, I read Romans 8 that morning in my devotions. And, and Romans 8.28 hit me in, in a way that had never hit me before, that, that God, through His Word, was saying to me, you know, you're so wrapped up in this house and in getting settled and in being comfortable and I've got a, a much better good that I'm doing in your life than making you comfortable. I am forming Christ in you. And that is so much more important than your comfort and your ease. And folks, that is the greatest good. The most precious work that God can do you in you is to form the image of Christ. So, so, so I mean, just think about all the hardships that God lets His people go through for the sake of sanctifying us. I mean, we, we, we can look at experience, we can look at Scripture, and we can see that at times God will take away our help. 
At times, God removes relationships. At times, God takes away jobs. And He takes away many other comforts. He allows us to endure serious pain. Why? Because Christ-likeness is worth more than all of it. It's worth more. And, and, And that tells us that godliness is precious. So so maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with some huge trial. Or maybe it's just all the little things of life that just have you worn down. Believe that godliness is worth every trial. Verse 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Godliness is worth it. So embrace God's higher and better priority. Christian, you are becoming like Jesus. You are on your way to glory with God. That's incredible. So so how is it that God does this? Well, well, notice as well in verse 28. um, Oops. Back up here. One incredible promise. And the heart of the promise of verse 28 is, it says again, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, now, and so God says here that, that through all things, that He works through all things, through, through every circumstance of life to bring us to maturity. Now, of course, that includes all things, good things, but considering the context and considering especially uh, verse 17 and, and 18 and following, that the particular emphasis is here on the hard things. Sickness and pain, relational difficulties, even persecution. So yes, life can be hard. Life is brutal. People are brutal at times. But no challenge can stop God from creating His best good. And God can take care of all of it. The good things and the bad things. And He is fitting all of them together. He is working all of them together to bring about the ultimate good, which is your spiritual growth. And that's an incredible thought, isn't it? An incredible picture of the providence and the wisdom of God. Because think about all the influences in your life. All the people. You know, your job, your neighbors, your health, your school, your government, the church, finances. I mean, the list goes on and on. There are all sorts of things in our life. And some of those things are really good, right? Some of them are not so good. And some of those bad things in life will never be resolved to your liking this side of glory. They're not going to get better. They may only get worse. But that's okay. Because God in His incredible wisdom and power uses all of them to to create a path towards godliness. And that path will end with you being perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. So, So your life might feel like chaos right now. Or... Or, I think a good picture here is is it might feel like a a thousand random puzzle pieces that you can't possibly see how, how they would all go together. But what God is assuring us here is that He is using every piece to build something beautiful, which is the character of His Son. So trust Him that He knows what He is doing. Trust that His plan is good. 
And trust Him to the extent that you can count it all joy when you meet various kinds of trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then be encouraged about your future. Now, oftentimes, pursuing godliness feels intimidating, right? And you look at you, and then you look at Jesus, and you're like, wow, the gap is massive. How am I ever going to get from where I am to glory? Well, God tells us that He is working all things to that end. And praise Him that He has a plan to bridge that gap. You don't know what your future holds, but you can rest assured that God does. He will not be surprised by any of it, and He is working to turn what is seemingly chaos to you into His perfect plan to form the image of His Son. And that's worth it. So so praise God. Praise God for the promise of this verse. But, but, but that might sound you know, almost too good to be true. I mean, how is, I mean, is that really the case? I mean, Pastor, you know what I'm going through? There, there can't possibly be any good in it. Or, or maybe think there's no way I can endure this and, and, and be faithful to Christ. Well, if you doubt God's promise, verse 29 and 30 follow with convincing proof convincing proof that God will do this. And this proof comes in the form of five works of God. So verses 29 and 30 tell us that God foreknows us, He predestines us, He calls us, He justifies us, and He glorifies us. And these five works, and these two verses, are oftentimes called the golden chain. And the reason they're called the golden chain is, first of all, because they're golden concepts. They are beautiful rich biblical concepts that God has given. And as well, they're they're oftentimes called a chain because all five of them are necessarily linked together. In other words, the the text is set up in such a way, the grammar, the grammatical construction, especially in verse 30, is set up to say that no one will just get one of these or two of these or three or four of them. No, the same group of people experience all five. And so one link in the chain leads to the next, leads to the next, and so forth. And so, and by that, he intends for us to draw strong assurance. So so the first link in the chain is that God chose us. The text says in verse 29 that he foreknew us. Now, of these five concepts, this is the one by far that engenders the most debate. And, um, and, And so on the one hand, A lot of people are going to want to understand foreknowledge here as simply God seeing something in advance. So God foreknows just simply means that God knows the future, essentially. And so as it relates to the gospel, people would say that God sees in advance who will be saved, who will receive Him, and based on that, He elects them to Himself. And there are, and it is worth noting that in the secular Greek world, that is oftentimes what this word just means. It just simply means to know something in advance. And there are a couple times in the Bible where it's used this way, where it just simply describes knowing something beforehand. But most of the uses of this term, and specifically those related to the gospel, all speak of something more than just knowing something is coming. There's a purpose. There is a divine intention 
behind this word. So, so for example, uh, it says in Acts 2, verse 23, speaking of Jesus, uh, Peter says at the Sermon on Pentecost, this man, Jesus, was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross. So, so it would be silly there for, for Peter to just mean that God knew in advance that Jesus was going to die. Because of course God knew Jesus was going to die. But very clearly what he's saying is that God's purpose and foreknowledge is, is, is his plan, his decree that Jesus would die. Similarly, uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 20 says of Jesus that he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. So, so again, uh, Paul is clearly describing God's purpose. Because, again, it would be silly for, for, for Peter to say that God knew Jesus from eternity past. Of course he did. No, what he's clearly describing is God's purpose, his, his decree in eternity past that Jesus would die on the cross for sinners. And as well, uh, turn over to Romans chapter 11. Chapter 11. And because here, uh, this word is used for the nation of Israel. Romans 11 verse 2 says, God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Now, that clearly, again, is referring to God's purpose. Because did God choose Israel because He knew that they would all believe in Him someday and be saved? Did he choose Abraham because of Abraham's great faith? No, Abraham was a pagan when God chose him. And so what's clearly going on here is that God is saying that he purposed to bring Israel to himself. And so the idea behind foreknowledge is that God set his love on us. He chose to know us solely based on His purpose, and He determined to save us, and He determined to receive, himself to us, receive us to Himself. And so, and so foreknowledge is, is His choice to know us based on His mercy and grace. And so I'm not a Christian because I'm so smart, because I made the right choice ultimately. And God loved me when I did not love Him. And He knew me when I was running from Him. And it's a glorious truth. It's an amazing grace. And that gives me great confidence because I don't always finish my plans. Sometimes I fall short. But no one can resist the will of God. When God makes a plan and sets out to execute it, He will always accomplish His purpose. So in eternity past, God chose us. And then the second leak in the chain is that God purposed to sanctify us. So verse 29, uh, going back to chapter 8, verse 29 says, Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now notice the progression from the first link in the chain to the second. So foreknowledge emphasizes God's purpose to love. He, he set His love on us. And, and so he, he planned to save us and bring us to himself. But, but God's love for us is not just open-ended. Like, I love you, I love you no matter what, and, and we'll just see where this goes. 
No, God loved us with the intention of taking us somewhere. He decreed that everyone He foreknew would be conformed to the image of His Son. Now that statement, as I said earlier, ultimately looks forward to our glorification. And it teaches us that going to heaven is not just about getting a ticket to the nicest resort imaginable for all of eternity. No, no, that's not fundamentally what heaven is. No, heaven is that we are made into the image of Christ. We will be made perfect so that we can be near to God and near to His goodness for all of eternity. That's the glory of heaven. And in fact, verse 29 says that God made this decree so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. So yes, when we get to heaven someday, we are going to worship Jesus as Lord forever and ever. But we will also stand alongside Him, this text says, as His brothers. Because through His death and resurrection, He has brought us to Himself. And so we will have a relationship with God through Christ for all of eternity. It is an incredible hope. Now, of course... Uh, our ultimate hope is glorification, but, but the Scriptures are clear, and Romans 8 is clear, that, that God has began this process of bringing us towards glory the moment that you were born again. So the moment you get saved, God begins forming Christ in you. He begins to change you. And of course, He's doing that through the ministry of the Word, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the church. But verse 28 says that He is also changing us through every circumstance of life. He is providentially working through all of it to make you like Jesus. 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says that we are becoming partakers of the divine nature. That's, that's an incredible statement. And, and verse 29 says that God purposed in eternity past that, that, that he, he decreed that all who believe on Him will be transformed into the image of His Son and we will all be glorified someday. And that tells us, folks, you know, that, that discipleship is not a footnote to your salvation. Right? That you know, God saves us so that He can populate heaven and we probably should do some good things in the meantime because we don't want to look bad for God. No, I mean, this verse says that a very huge part of God's plan from eternity past was not just to get you to heaven, but in the meantime, to form Christ in you. His, his will is that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. And so if that's a big part of God's plan in the Gospel, it should be really important to me as well that I want to become like the Savior. And, and the statement also provides strong encouragement as we face the uncertainties of life. Do you ever wonder if you're going to make it spiritually? Do you ever feel like just a spiritual wreck? You have a bad day and you fall and you fail spiritually and you're like, man, am I ever going to make it? You know, maybe you're going through some really difficult trial and, and, and you wonder, can I keep the faith through this? And what a blessing it is to know that God, I mean, I can't think of a stronger assurance that God could give to the Christian who is fearful of your spiritual future than what God says here. 
that if, if you are a child of God, God ordained from eternity past, that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. It is certain. It is absolutely certain. So, so you don't know what circumstances might be ahead in your life. But you know that the grace of God will be sufficient to sustain you through all of them. And God will accomplish His will. And that should be enough. It is enough. So, so the first two links in this chain look to eternity past. God foreknew us and He predestined us to Christ-likeness. And then the, the, the verse 30 adds three more links that, that look to the present and the future. So, so the third link in the chain is that God called us. So, so verse 30 says, these whom He predestined, He also called. Now again, the these of verse 30 must refer to everyone in verse 29. So, I mean, the, the grammar in verse 30 is set up such that, that to kind of like, you know, put some like squiggly lines and break up this chain so that you can get to link three but not make it to link four. It is just not faithful to what the text is saying. The same people experience all of these. And so God in eternity past foreknew us. He predestined us to glory. And now in time it says that God is sovereignly calling these people to Himself. And again, this is not just His general invitation to salvation. The Bible is clear that God uh, invites all people to save. Acts 17 says He commands all people everywhere to repent. But that's not what this is here. This is God's effective call to those who are chosen, those whom He has foreknown. Because the grammar demands that the exact same group of people experience each link in the chain. So, So Jesus described this in John 10, verses 27 and 28, when he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. So what that verse is saying, what Jesus is saying in those two verses, is that when he calls those he has foreknown to himself, we hear. And when we hear the voice of Jesus, we respond, we come to him And He gives eternal life. He saves us. And of course, Christ does this through the illumination of the Spirit. He he opens our eyes to His glory and beauty. He causes us to understand the Gospel and and, and recognize its application to us. And, And when God removes the blinders of my sin and depravity and I see Jesus as He is, I come gladly. I hear His voice and I follow. So, so there's no you know, uh, violation of the will. It's, it, we, I come gladly. I come joyfully because of who He is. Praise the Lord for that work. He draws us to Himself. And then the fourth work in this chain is that God justified us. Verse 30 goes on to say, those whom He called, He also justified. Now justification refers to God's legal declaration of not guilty. And we've talked about it a lot in our series in Romans, particularly in chapters 3 through 5. And so the idea of justification is, is that when we respond to God's call and, and we exercise faith, God declares us justified. He declares us not guilty. He places us in Christ and we receive all the benefits of His death and resurrection. We, we stand in His righteousness. 
Our sins are forgiven, and we are not guilty before God. Wrath gives way to grace. And really, that is the foundation of of why we are going to heaven someday. It's because when we are justified, we now stand in Christ, not in our sin. And so if there's anyone here who's not received that gift of justification, I hope you will today. Because again, the promises of this passage are only for Christians. God has not promised that all things are going to work together for good for everyone. No, He has only promised that for those who are in Christ. And so, if you have never been saved, then, then I'd urge you to come to Christ today. I mean, it may be God, maybe may the shepherd is calling your name right now. Maybe you are hearing His voice. He is showing you that He is a good God. You are understanding the Gospel. And I hope that you will respond. That you will believe on Christ and be saved. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. If you have questions about how to do that, what it means to be saved, or what all this is, we'd love to talk with you so that you can know that you are in Christ. So so at this point, Paul wants us to look back and see clear proof. Clear proof that God is accomplishing His sovereign will. And so if you are a Christian, if you believe the Gospel, you know from this passage that in eternity past, God set His love on you. And He predestined you to glorification. And then, He began His purpose in you when He called you to Himself. And He justified you. God has done, is doing a great work. He is changing you. He is forming Christ in you. So so God's sovereign will is well underway. And because God has done these four works already in our lives, we can be assured that God will do the fifth work, which is that God will glorify us. Now again, glorification refers to the day when God's people will be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. And God is going to welcome us into His presence. And we will live with Him forever and ever. And that is our great hope. But, but, if, but if that's still in the future, then, then why does Paul put glorified in the past tense? You know, if you're a grammar Nazi, then you're like, what's wrong with that? That, that hasn't happened yet. Why is he put in the past tense? Well, the point is, is that just as certainly as God has done these first four works, He will most certainly do the fifth work. It is a settled fact. And so God can speak of our glorification as if it is done. Because God never fails to accomplish His will. So Christian, you will be glorified. You will make it to heaven someday. This passage is very clear that no true believer can lose his salvation. There is no room in this passage for losing your salvation. We cannot fall short of the glory of God. We will persevere through every hardship, and and God will form Christ in us. So your present circumstances might stink, but God is working all of them towards an infinite good. You can count on it. So so maybe you are carrying a heavy burden today. Some overwhelming uh, issue in your life. 
Maybe again, you're just worn down by all the little stuff that, that is just piling up. Maybe you're anxious about the future. Well, I hope that all of us will look past every pain today and see the glory of God. Someday I'm going to see Jesus. Someday I'm going to be perfectly conformed to His image. And I will walk with Jesus. I will be near to Jesus for all of eternity. In the presence of His glory. That's awesome. It's worth it all. And in light of that, be assured that you will get there. You will get there. So keep going. Keep the faith. Trust the Lord. Keep your eyes on the prize. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the assurance of this passage. And Lord, we thank you that, that our hope, our confidence is not in us, but in you. And in the finished work of Christ, the sovereign purpose of God, what a blessing it is to rest in these things and to hope in these things. Lord, I pray for any who are here who do not know Christ the Savior. Oh Lord, we pray that you would work in their hearts. That God, you would, you would draw them and they'd be born again. And I pray for those of us who know you that Lord, we would love what you love. We would love glory. We would love Christ-likeness above anything else in this world. And that we would pursue it with all our hearts and do so with great confidence that you will accomplish what is good in us. Thank you, God, for the assurance of this passage. Help us to draw strong confidence and great encouragement to press forward in light of what it says in Jesus' name. Amen.